Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 8th, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, Pure Heart, Prayer, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Enjoy. In January, you know, we began uh, our study through the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most significant message that Jesus ever gave. And this past week, Pastor Jeff uh, Stevens walked us through the beginning of Matthew chapter six as we talked about giving. And Jesus affirms giving, but he only affirms it if you have a right heart. Your heart needs to be in this thing completely. In fact, it's the first of three things, three spiritual practices that Jesus will affirm here in chapter six, giving and prayer and fasting. This morning is about prayer. It's about praying with a true heart, a heart that's focused in on God and his rewards and not focused on ourselves. Very easy to have a time maybe where we think that we're before the Lord, but everything is focused on us. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew chapter six and then follow along with me as I read through verses five through eight and we'll jump into the passage. Matthew 6, verse 5 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now the passage here is gonna tell us five different things. The first thing it's gonna tell us here starts off in verse five, and that is you get the affirmation to pray. Let me go back and look at verse five just again. It it says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. By the way, if you look at verse six, it says, but when you pray, and you look at verse seven, but when you pray three times there, you are affirmed that you ought to be praying. That would be a whole lot like what you saw last week in the first four verses when Jeff was teaching through it, when he stops over and over again, it says, and when you give, And so there is an affirmation that these things are a part of our own righteousness. You know, in the first 20 verses here of chapter six, Jesus will give three reasons why giving and and prayer and fasting are so important. And they have to do with, first of all, our righteousness. The fact that God has changed us and put something inside of us and made us righteous, that giving in this case would just be the right thing to do. And then it has to do with our relationship. It has to do with the fact that he's our father, we're his children, he's expecting that this relationship will be built. And then it has to do with rewards, that ultimately we want to be rewarded by him. Now verse five also is gonna give us the second point here, the second truth here, and that is uh, the the command not to be self-focused. Look what it says again, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others, truly I say to you, that they have received their rewards. So in other words, don't be like the phonies. Notice here that the hypocrite here is praying. 
I mean, think about this for a second. You realize that prayer could be a platform for hypocrisy? I mean, when you think about prayer, we typically think like if you see somebody praying and, you know, at a restaurant and they stop and they pray over their food, I mean, no one's going to interrupt them because we just think, wow, that's really holy, you know, and no matter who they are, you know, if they're spending this time, it must be like this really spiritual and, and, and deep thing. But here, in this case, Jesus looks at them and says, they're a phony. Now, that, that happens here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus will confront people who are portraying themselves as one thing, but really aren't that. There's something else. In fact, he'll even close out the Sermon on the Mount in chapter seven by calling a group of people who are doing religious stuff by looking at them and saying, look, I never even knew you. You know, we tend to think of sin as something that's like deep and dark and evil and disgusting and heartbreaking. And yet in this case, sin here seems to be, it's kind of crouched like it's pious. You know, like someone's like real religious. Jesus refers to them here as hypocrites. The word means play actor. The idea is that someone is pretending to be someone that they are not. And this, this pretending here doesn't happen by, by accident. Go back to verse five. It tells us here that they love, it says, they love to stand and pray. In other words, it's not an accident. They're doing it because they want to. This is their desire. Now, I'll give you an idea. When, when I, typically when I'm studying, one of the things that I like to do as I'm working through something is I just start writing questions to myself. So if I'm reading through it, I'll stop and write myself a question that I feel like I need to answer because maybe somebody else in the audience is going to answer the same exact question, you know? And so I started looking at, well, what determines whether you're a hypocrite or not? Well, the answer is your desire. See, the passage here says that they love to stand and be seen. So the question is, what is your desire? I mean, do you actually believe that, that God, you know, owns everything, created everything? If you do, you give. It, it, it's just part of who we are. Well, do you actually believe that God is a knowable God, that he wants for us to have a relationship with him? Well, then you pray. Because he wants to have a communication back and forth between us. See, when we're truly Christ followers, we want to talk to him. We want to seek him. If it's all about me, if it's all focused in on me and I simply want God to bless me and God to do my will and for him to be my servant as opposed to me, you know, being his servant and I want people to look at me and see that I'm deep and I'm spiritual, you're probably gonna reach a place where Jesus is gonna call that hypocrisy. See, wanting to know God better is a great thing. I mean, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. That's great. The problem here in Matthew 6 is there were some people that were praying that had no real desire to really seek to know God and his will. What they loved was, they loved to stand out in front of people and act like they were holy and have people quietly under their breath say, wow, how deep are they? How spiritual are they? They wanted that kind of admiration. They wanted that respect. Jesus calls them out for that. 
By the way, some people will even look at this passage and go, look, this is why I never pray in public because I don't want anybody ever to say that about me. This is not talking about praying in public. Synagogue prayers and, and public prayers were very common. I mean, oftentimes people would, that would be up in front would pray like Brendan even did this morning. At times, they would even blow the trumpets to let even the people in the, in the town know that they were getting ready to call everybody to prayer. If you ever came from a small town where they had like a church, you know, steeple and they had, a, you know, bells up in the thing and they would ring the bells, they used to ring the bells to call people to come because it was time for the service to start. That's not what this is talking about. The issue here has nothing to do with you praying in public. It has everything to do with what motivates you. The temptation here for any of us, whenever we're in front of somebody or whenever we have a situation where we have a little bit of authority or or a, a platform in some possible way is to make sure that our hearts are right before God because you know what, this is God's church. This is no person's church. God gets to decide what happens. The church should never become a cult of personality. It is the kind of thing that every single person, whether they step up here to the front, whether it's to speak or to lead or to pray or whatever they do, God gets the glory and that's it. You know, it's funny, we've talked about this in the staff so many times before, but, and I really mean this when I say this, you know, if God... When God decides he's done with me and he wants to call a rock, it will do a better job than me. Because God can do whatever he wants to do. And it's his plan to constantly be doing that, to be using people, you know, at their very best and he'll, he'll make them and use them at that, for that moment and then it's time to use somebody else. And we need to be okay with that. It's okay. As servants, we have to realize that leading is both a privilege and a responsibility. And so when the scribes or the Pharisees would walk out in front of everybody and stop and pray, they didn't stop and realize that God was supposed to get the glory, not them. If we make it all about ourselves, that gets labeled hypocrisy. And that is the essential fault here in verse five. The focus here is on self. This person praying wants to give the impression that they are devout and they're spiritual. In fact, it says here that they're on their way to the synagogue and they stop at the street corners. In other words, this person is giving the impression that they're just so excited, they can't even wait. They're just so excited they're on the way to the synagogue that they can't. They have to stop right in the middle of a really busy street corner and stop, oh, I just need to pray right here. People are going, Wow. That's, they're really holy. They can't even get to church. They gotta stop and pray right here. So they stop and they pray or, or in the temple they stop instead of just praying for wherever they're at. They have to move up into the front right in front of everybody. <clears throat> Clear their throat clearly so that everybody can see and hear what they have to say. This is the one that Jesus is calling out. The problem here is that they want to be seen. They love those things. They want to be known as spiritual. They want to be honored here. And the double, double negative of this whole thing is not only does Jesus know exactly who they are, he calls them out as hypocrites and then he tells us in verse five that they will get no reward from God. The only reward they get at this point is that somebody for a brief moment will look at them and go, wow, they're really spiritual and that means Nothing. Nothing. 
Now, there's a third thing here that the passage shows us here in verse six, and that is the personal nature of prayer. He says in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, Jesus is gonna reinforce the idea of the need to pray, but now he says when you do this, go into your private or your personal room. The Greek word tamion there means closet or chamber. It's the idea that you would go to a safe place a quiet place, a place in, the word picture there even gives the idea that the place you would go to would be the place that you would store your valuables, the things that you would sort of hide away and put into something, and that's the place that you would go to and you would close your door and then you would seek God there, and the idea that you would seek God there is the idea that you would bear your soul before the Lord. And the promise is, is that the Father who sees in secret will reward you it's interesting, as I had somebody ask me, they said, well, what's the reward? I have no idea. No place in the scripture says it tells us whether the reward is this or this or this or this. It doesn't tell us that. We don't know if it's, if it's actual, if it's, if, it's, if it's physical thing, if it's something that God does in your heart and your mind, if it's something that happens in this life, does it happen in the next life? We don't know that. And you know what? You're not supposed to. If God wanted us to know the specifics on that, he would have told us. The idea, though, is that I would work for a reward that comes from him. Now, keep going here because in verse seven we get the fourth thing here and now Jesus is gonna tell us to not use meaningless words. Look what he says, verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So he lists two problems here in verse seven, empty phrases and many words. Many words meaning, uh, I translate at least, as being long prayers. Unfortunately, it just seems like so many people today think, well, the length of the prayer decides really how deep it is. And if it's a short prayer, well, it's gotta be kind of shallow. Length is not the issue. I'm so glad, too, because I'm affectionately known on the staff as the fast prayer. Uh, you know, I mean, because I, I don't know, I, my mind wanders off on things really, really fast. And so it, it's it's... Not that I have to pray one continuous thought forever and ever, but that my heart would be right before the Lord. Length is not the issue. You ever heard of Edward Everett? Any of you history buffs out there? Everett was considered one of the finest speakers of his time. November 19th, 1863, he got up in a Pennsylvania field and he spoke for two hours and the crowd was just enthralled by what he had to say. When he finished, he turned around and he went back and he sat down and Abraham Lincoln got up and he spoke for two minutes. From two hours to two minutes. Lincoln gave what is commonly thought of as the most significant speech of the age, the Gettysburg Address. Length does not equate to depth. To importance. That's not the issue. Sometimes it's just lots of words. You know, the Hebrews have a historical work called the Talmud of Babylon, and it was very common in, in the Talmud of Babylon to describe the Jews that were actually in exile at that time would stop and pray for long periods of time. In fact, it lists there the fact that they would stop and pray for three hours at a shot, standing up and how holy and revered they were because they could do that. 
Jesus would tell you that that doesn't prove anything. Turning your Bibles over to Mark chapter 12 for a second. Would you do that? Mark chapter 12. Look at verses 38 through 40. Because Jesus will say this. In verse 38, he says, and in his teaching he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts who devour, devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Do you know what that word pretense means? Pretense is one of those interesting words that we probably don't use very much in our culture, but pretense is when you're attempting to say some, take something that is not true and prove to somebody it is true. Jesus is saying these people love to walk around and do all these things and for a pretense, as a way of proving to you that they're real, but they're really not, they make these really long prayers. That's not what he's calling us to do. The length of the prayer is not the issue, but he also mentions here empty phrases. He uses this, this, this Greek term here, bodilegeo, the, the verb here, bada, means to, to stammer or to stutter. And I get that. I mean, when I was growing up in school, I, I remember for years I got pulled out of class and got put in a speech therapy class because I stuttered. And I just, you know, had to work myself through that and, and learn and, and develop some different skills and slow my brain down a little bit. And there was a couple of things, which now it's often too slow, but I mean, it, 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 you know, then, I, you know, I had to learn a couple of things through that whole process, but I would often say, yeah, like that. That's the idea of this word. Don't stop and, and pray this repetition. Don't just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Now, here's the point. Does that mean you can never repeat the same prayer? No, it does not mean that at all. What he's saying here is don't say things that lack sincerity. If you can pray the same thing over and over again and be sincere, that's fine. But at times we can just say things that don't mean anything. I mean, but don't take it that I'm saying you can't say the same thing. You can't pray with it. You know, as long as your heart is right, you're fine. Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, had a, a, some kind of a situation where there was something wrong in his flesh where, you know, he was struggling. Perhaps it was his eyesight or in, in that case, but it tells us that he prayed three times that God would take the thorn in the flesh away from him. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 21, in the garden, got down on his knees and prayed three times, Father, if you can let this cup pass from me, it'd be great. Those were completely sincere prayers. That's totally fine to do that. The problem is, though, is that very often repetition become empty. We can just do it because we think we're supposed to. In Acts chapter 19, Paul and his party are, are going through Ephesus and this group of people, the Ephesians there, got upset and they were you know, being, you know, getting ready to riot and they stood and they screamed, great is Diana of the Ephesians for over two hours. It happens. If you ever had a chance to go to an Islamic funeral, one of the things you'll hear there is the phrase Allah el Allah, which means God is good and it's supposed to be repeated 3,000 times. 
If you grew up going to parochial school, perhaps you, you got in trouble for something and one of the things you were given was the opportunity to say multiple Hail Marys. Most of the time, I don't people think people stop and went, Hail Mary. It was more like Hail Mary, like that, right? We tend to run through those things so fast. Or perhaps you had, you know, a rosary thing and you had all, every one of those little, little, you know, balls right there and you had to, you know, those beads and you had to pray through a prayer through every single one of them. Or you lit a candle. If you've, if you've ever been in one of situations like that where you have a whole, you know, wall full of candles up there, you know why you light candles? The idea of lighting a candle was that prayer that you made, that candle, it keeps it before God's face until that candle burns out. Because there's something inside of us thinking, oh, if I just do many words and many phrases and I stay at it all over the time, God is going to give me what I want. And that's not what they're talking about. Sometimes prayers can become ritual. They can become rote. They can lack sincerity. The Jews had multiple different prayers that they would pray. The Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That's a beautiful prayer. They had others called the Shemona Esra, the 18. They had 18 prayers that every single good Jew would pray three times every single day. And by the way, a lot of these prayers were beautiful. Let me just, let me read number 12 to you. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be shown upon the upright, the humble, the elders of the people of Israel and the rest of thy teachers. Be favorable to the pious strangers among us and to us, to us all and give to us a good reward to those who sincerely trust in thy name. That's an awesome prayer. I, I love that. But imagine if that's just one of 18 that you gotta get through before you get to lunch. Is it ever possible that maybe you're just doing this problem is it can become rote. We can just simply memorize words that don't have any meaning, that somehow they lack the passion or the desire that we really want to put forth. It's not prayer. Martin Luther, who was a great theologian, said this about prayer. He says, prayer is about God instructing us. Yes, we share our heart with God. Yes, we seek his comfort we also realize who we're praying to. And so we pray with this devotion to seek God, not to be thought of as spiritual by others. And by the way, some people will actually take, you know, this whole prayer thing and they'll look like, you know, I think it's kind of like a magic formula, you know. I can say whatever I want to and as long as I put on the very end, in Jesus' name, I get it. Like somehow God is tied, oh no, I hope they don't say Jesus' name because then I got to give it to them. It doesn't work like that. God cannot be forced into a corner. And I've heard so many people say that. Well, now God has to do it. No, he doesn't have to do it. God is the sovereign God of the universe. Prayer is not the way we manipulate him or force his hand. Now, the final thing here he says in verse eight, and that is that we are to trust God. Look what he says. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what you need. But this is a common truth in the scriptures. 
Psalm 139, the first six verses say this, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is too high I cannot attain it I don't get it God I'm just thankful that you are who you are listen God is not forgetful he cannot be manipulated he doesn't stand for hypocrisy but he wants us to come to him in sincerity and to seek him. And if we do that, here's this great promise. He'll reward you. Well, I don't know what the reward is, but he'll reward you. And that's the one reward you want. Look, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come up and they'll join me. And I'm gonna ask the prayer team. From now on, I just wanna let you know that we're gonna be asking our prayer team to come and make themselves available, both down here and they're gonna be back in the back areas and a couple of different areas. You know, when we come to the, the very end of a service, we're gonna sing again. And if you feel like God is leading you to come and to pray or to stop someone, we would love to be able to pray with you. We we'll have a whole group of people that see that this is their ministry. It's a blessing for them to do that. And if you feel led to do that, please come and pray. You don't have to wait till after we're done singing. You can get up in the middle of that and come forward and someone will be there to pray with you. Over the next three weeks, as we talk about prayer, I wanna challenge you. Each day has 24 hours in it. That works out to 1,440 minutes in a day. Our challenge is this, very simple. Would you be willing to give God just 1% of your day? I'm not even talking about a tithe. I'm not even talking about 10%. Would you be willing to give him 1%? Would you give him 14 minutes that you would stop and you would pray and you would seek him, not just pour your list out, but you would seek him, to know him, who he is, what he has for you. I believe that if we would do that as a church, God would do some amazingly wonderful and amazing things in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts to seek you, not out of guilt, um, not out of selfish desire, but a real desire in our hearts to know you, to build that relationship because we know it's the right thing to do because we seek your reward, God, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts to do that, each heart, God. We would desire deeply to know you better and your direction for our lives and I pray that you would make that real. And this morning, even as we stop and we worship, if you need to move in some people's hearts, God, to stop and to pray with someone, would you do that, Lord? And would they feel the comfort and the assurance to seek you out as well? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. This great God whose name is higher, who is unfailing, desires to have a real relationship, not a phony one, a real relationship with you. Would you take 14 minutes each day this week 
and just seek God. I love you all. God bless you.